summoned through the dimension of sound. People explore the musical world which they believe to be true. But there is a world unheard by some that is filled with stories of an unknown reality, a jazz side. Episode three of Tales from the Jazz Side is with drummer Willard Dyson. Okay, now, uh, in staying with my 20-year anniversary mode, my guest today is a musician that I tour with while out on the road with Michael, and I consider him a hanging out buddy. Now, when you talk to different musicians about being on the road, you get a lot of mixed opinions. Some of them think it's great, others hate it, and, you know, being on the road can really be difficult. It can be hard, but I also feel that it can be made easier by the people that you do spend time with, and also uh, by the attitude that you have about it. Now, playing with Willard and touring with him is so much fun because, you know, with Willard, there's never a problem. And to sum it up, I really believe that's because, and the key word here is attitude. I feel that Willard Dyson has an incredible attitude, an incredible approach to being on the road. He's been described by the Wellington Journal as perfect, imaginative, sensitive, exciting and subtle, with a stunning flair for devastating funk. And that is definitely true. Willard demonstrates all those qualities. He's extremely adaptable. But the thing that's really amazing about him is his easygoing manner and that non-judgmental attitude that you notice the moment you meet him. And it's also what you hear throughout his playing. You know, it's that, hey, let's try something different here. It's that adventurous nature. And I think that's what makes Willard the drummer that explores the music with this specific attitude of total acceptance. And as said, is is the sensitivity that, that streams through in his playing. Now, if you want to find out more about Willard, you can surf the web. Uh, or you can visit his MySpace page, and that's www.myspace.com forward slash Willard Dyson Group. That's W-I-L-L-A-R-D-D-Y-S-O-N-G-R-O-U-P. And, of course, like most of us, uh, he has a Facebook page. Join me now on Tales from the Jazz Side with my guest, Willard Dyson. My guest today is Have Drums Will Travel, drummer Willard Dyson. Hi, Willard. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Good. Thank you for being a guest on Tales from the Jazz Side. It's good to be here. Yes. It feels at home. Well, you, yes, because you are at home. Oh, right, right. It's not a hotel room. Okay. All right. So, you know, you and I met. It's your uh, cleanest place. Yeah. Yes. I, well, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> good thing it's not being videotaped. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so you and I met on the Michael Franks tour, and you've been with Michael for how long now? Do you remember? Um, maybe around around ten years. Okay. It goes by fast. Yep, 
sure does. Yes. It certainly does. Now, um, I know, like, when I talked to uh, last month, I had Jay Anderson on as a guest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always talk about being on the road. And I like to always bring up things that, um, you know, you and I have experienced and, Uh you know, my guests on the road. And one of the things that came to mind for me was, you know, you and I, when we're on the road, it's always like... Where's the Starbucks? Yeah. Yeah, you're my star. Where's the Starbucks? That's the Starbucks locator on my phone. <laughs> or, no, it's not Starbucks. It's Star Crack. Star Crack. That's yeah. right. That's right. And, you know, like, and I'll call early in the morning, and or you'll call me early in the morning and say, have you gone to Starbucks yet? Oh, no, no, not yet. Not Star yet. Crack. St- I'm sorry. I keep getting it wrong. <laughs> star Crack. Have you gone yet? No, no, not yet. You know, I'll be down in about 15 minutes. Okay, 15 minutes, you right? know. So we're always on the road with... Uh, so you're my Starbucks, Star Crack. Sorry, Star Crack partner. Uh, buddy. <laughs> now, there was an incident that happened on the road, and I, I remember this, because every time I make Starbucks, of course, Star Crack, mm-hmm. I think of you. Um, and we were in California. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember this, but we were, uh, I think it was... Capistrano. Yes, yes. <laughs> and this, this, this African-American cat came over yes. to us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Of course. Yes. <laughs> tell, tell the story, Willard. <laughs> this guy came up, and we were sitting out in front in Capistrano. Beautiful area. And we're sitting out there, enjoying our um, respective cups of crack. And this brother dries up and goes in, and he comes out. No, he's coming from the ATM machine. He passes by us, and he says, wow, it's, 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 so, it's, it's such a pleasure to see, to see someone see someone that looks like me around here <laughs> i think he came up and shook our hands or something yeah. he wanted to make sure we were real right. it's a mirage right it's a mirage and you know that was a strange experience too because you know today in this day and age you would never think mm-hmm. um that you just would be grateful <laughs> to right. see um and it ties in so uh interesting with the road life and racism and and the things that you deal with while you're on the road and of course Always I tie everything into fear. You know, mm-hmm. We know that racism and fear are partners in perpetuation. Wow, that's deep. <laughs> partners in perpetuation. Got to write that down. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, uh, in the pre-recorded section of this show, I, I, I give you all these accolades so that you don't have to sit here and be embarrassed by me, you know saying how incredible you are or what you forgot (laughs) (laughs) well one of the things that i did mention in the earlier section is how eclectic you are as a drummer and how you play um so many different types of genres of music Mm -hmm. and one of the things too i also noticed is that you have you, you tend to play with a lot of singers now is there a reason for that other than you know female male thing you know Many of them are just very cute. and uh, No, I'm just kidding. It just happened that way. I, something about... Um, um, it just happened that way. When I was in the Bay Area, I, my main mentor was Bill Bell, who's a great jazz pianist. And he conducted a choir at my church. I was drafted into the choir when I was in seventh grade. I wasn't asked. I was told to be at choir rehearsal. And it was just natural because I had to go with my sisters anyway. Mm-hmm. So instead of sitting in the back pews, um, being bored or running outside playing, 
now I'm singing tenor mm-hmm. in, in the choir. Yeah. This is seventh grade. So when I, as I was coming up through high school and I began to play with uh, Mr. Bell, um, <laughs> he played and he sang. So this is how I started learning uh, standards. This is how I started learning the tags of endings, mm-hmm. intros from a very early age. And then uh, it's just, it just kind of snowballed like that. Gigs I would get would be with, with vocalists. And I would love to play with vocalists at jam sessions. Because mm-hmm. um, as a drummer, there are many drummers there you're waiting to play. Mm-hmm. You know, sitting there and you're chomping at the bit to play. And then uh, you have a chance to play and a singer comes up. Mm-hmm. And some cats would sort of uh, choose not to play with the singer because uh, she's probably going to do a ballad or something. And I, you know, I can't do my triple reverse Rademacus, uh over a ballad. Although I'll try it when I sing it when she's singing. But uh, so if they chose not to play with a singer I, I jump up and I, I play with the vocalists and um, and most of the times it would, it would be fun but mm-hmm. what's really cool about playing with vocalists is um, it will get you out of your box if you're doing something if you're used to doing something one way mm-hmm. you know someone may come up and they may want to do something a different way and you're going to learn about the song you're going to learn lyrics if you're listening Yeah. if you're just sitting there thinking about drums while you're playing with a vocalist, and you're not, you're, you're not gonna really learn. But if you're playing and you're listening, uh, it gives you a chance to actually kind of paint words, have fun with the song. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, I like having fun with uh, a vocalist sometimes if they do a song like um, I can't think of the song now, but <laughs> something that has a word "bell" in it that, oh, yeah, yeah. that perks up. And uh, thank you. And. Um, <laughs> I will. Should have turned that off. Uh, it it won't happen for another <laughs> half an hour, um, <laughs> and um, you know you just you, you have a chance to you have a chance to paint, mm-hmm. uh, word paint, word painting. I think they call it, and it's fun. I mean, overdone it can be goofy, but sometimes you if you're in a goofy mood, you have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so I I became. Uh, very accustomed to playing with vocalists, mm-hmm. and it's always it, it's always been great because you have to uh, create uh, excitement for them without over, without being overbearing. Right, and that also seems as if because you do play with singers, you uh, play m- more. I mean, you play a lot more. I mean, I've I know you to play all over the world, a lot of times it's because a singer is taking you there. Well, Michael Franks, for instance. And that's that's kind of an interesting thing. Now, what do you, what, um, I'm, uh, first of all, I'm also very grateful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to have you uh, want to play with me because you are a great drummer and you do listen and you do color. You mm-hmm. color around the singer and that's sometimes you don't get that Mm -hmm. cats will be playing and they they're brilliant and they're great but they're not they think the singer is different they they don't think of the singer as an instrumentalist and a lot of times singers don't think of themselves as instrumentalists so it's um it's always great to hear you play Mm -hmm. with singers and then to hear you play with instrumentalists as well so um a question i want to ask you um are you working on anything right now? Are you planning? Because you go everywhere. I mean, you are all over the place. I mean, places that 
you know, like Siberia. I mean, mm-hmm. places, places <laughs> where you really. <laughs> yeah. Am I working on anything now? Yeah. Well, what I do from time to time uh, when I play something, I'll have an idea. And I think that would be a good idea to, to do for a record. So I've jotted down ideas, things I would do for a CD. Mm-hmm. Um, some of which include like doing a song like uh, Jeepers Creepers okay. as a samba. Oh, okay. Or um, I like, I did an arrangement of Monk's tune played twice. Oh, okay. Which I recorded, but we didn't really use it, but I have the arrangement. Mm-hmm. And for that, I sort of incorporated the, uh, this vamp on Tell Me a Bedtime Story as an intro okay. uh, to that. And it's, it's kind of wild, you mm-hmm. know. It's, it's kind of a wild arrangement, which, which um, you've heard of the joke, like, what's the last thing the drummer said before he was fired? Uh, no. What's that? Let's try one of my tunes. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> it always seems like you know it's always drum heavy, you know, or it's yeah, it has, yeah. It's, it's, it's drum it's, stuff is written. Drum all stuff over. is kind of complicated. <laughs> I got an arrangement. Oh my god! Okay. It's like a drummer's revenge. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, we uh, drummers write write great things. Mm-hmm. Drummers, percussionists. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Ralph McDonald wrote yeah. "Where's the Love." Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, some of the great R and B singers. Marvin Gaye was a drummer. Yeah. Jeffrey Osborne. Yeah, and a lot of pianists w- started as drummers too. Mm-hmm. You know, they start mm-hmm. off uh, playing drums and then they move to piano. Right. I mean, they are per- both percussive instruments. Yes. So yes. you know, it, it, percussion we mean by the hammer hitting the strings. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than a keyboardist who plays an electronic keyboard. Right. That's right. Where the hammer doesn't hit the string. Yeah. Well, maybe something hits something. Yeah, I don't uh, know. <laughs> I don't know what the inside of that is. But so now, it, do you plan on uh, making a record soon, or are you just gathering material for it? Um, gathering material, and I think the first step would be to take this material and grab some guys and do some cheap gigs, uh, just to play through the material, just okay. play through the stuff, um, and then when it's solid, especially in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, grab together some funds and throw some guys in the studio and and go for it. Wow. Go through all the craziness that I see everybody else going right, through. Right, because when you go in. Now, uh, are you going anywhere weird like Siberia or? Um, you know, or nowhere really strange as of yet, but you never know. This could all change in a week or so. You get a strange call and, you know, Willard, I need, I need you to go to... Uh, uh, Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, That's pretty out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Utah's interesting. Oh yeah, very, very interesting. You know, you got to have a sponsor to go to go to a bar or something like that. I yeah, I think so. Yeah, so. yeah. maybe a good idea for some people. Um, but other than the the Japan thing we have coming up, not not nowhere that's really far. Um, maybe in February mm-hmm. uh, with. Good guitarist Freddie Bryant mm-hmm. has a gig in London, um, and but who knows what happens between them? It's it's hard to say. Now, I wanted to always ask you what what made you want to be a drummer. I think I don't know if there's one thing, but I've always 
even before I played drums, I played a little trumpet. Okay. Um, but in elementary school, um, guys I knew and, and, and myself, <clears throat> we were always just playing beats. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned beats now, and it's very hip hop. I said, yeah. "Oh yeah, they put together some beats. I need a producer to give me some beats." Yes. <laughs> you know, we were doing this in elementary beats, school. Like beats, beats, or beats, beats. beats. No, B E A. Not B E. Sautéed beats, not sautéed beats. <laughs> right. Which may be a good a good label, sautéed beats. Oh yeah. But oh, you know, hey. you know, hip hop world. You know, I need a producer because this guy's going to call this guy in to give us some beats. Mm-hmm. And and I'm thinking, wow, I was doing this in elementary school. You go to a garbage can, you get a good bass sound yeah. on one, and then you slap it on the other, and you got a beat. Mm-hmm. And so most most of the time, we're playing James James Brown beats on the garbage can. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think people can play. That's a pretty basic kind. Yeah, of, that yeah, that was yeah. the that was a that was a thing then. Yeah, some yeah. some James Brown. You yeah, know? yeah. You get a whole bunch of kids playing on the garbage cans or oh, something. Yeah. And, and would would be rocking, yeah. You know, uh, and then as we got instruments, you know, it became like street beats. You had a guy on snare drum, and you had a guy on on bass drum. You you play these beats between that, uh-huh. and then on through high school, mm-hmm. playing, uh, putting a groove behind uh, uh, the the cheerleader squad. They loved that. Oh, you, okay. Going, we got it. Yeah, yeah. we got <laughs> it. Yeah, right. we got it. And you put a beat behind that, and oh, the cheerleaders yeah. loved you. Oh, they, hello. They loved you. That was the beginning. It was the beginning. It's, uh, hmm. There's magic in this music. Right. There is magic <laughs> in the music, right? Now, did you use music to... Um, I know, like for me, growing up, music was a way of escaping or from the realities, the harsh realities around me that of racism. Mm-hmm. So it was a way to really have your voice and mm-hmm. be able to... Um, express yourselves, express yourself in a way that you couldn't like out and out do. Like mm-hmm. you couldn't just go out in the middle of the street. So did you? Because you grew up in Oakland, right? right? Oakland, mm-hmm. California. I use. So did I use it as kind of an escape? Is a question. Well, yeah, you know. Um, um, I guess in a way, I not really an es- an escape. Um, I couldn't watch TV in grammar school. There's no TV during the week. Mm-hmm. Either do your homework. If you finish your homework, uh, do tomorrow's homework. My mom always said, <laughs> right. like, "Damn, it's finished. Well, do tomorrow's. Read ahead, right. or um, or just read." Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really into novels or stories. I was read in encyclopedias. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! It was just interesting to me to come home and pop them grab an encyclopedia which my mom got from the families that she worked for okay they would toss out their old encyclopedias mm-hmm. and she would take them yeah. and she'd bring them home uh-huh. and they just pop it open and and read it mm-hmm. and with a peanut butter sandwich <laughs> in lieu of watching television yeah but i couldn't even sneak and watch it because you know she could come home and she could touch the television <laughs> tell if you've been and watching if it's warm <laughs> open a cannibal pass Ooh, <laughs> but um or 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 play yeah yeah or or play so I had drums in my basement and so um, I, I did play a lot and practice a lot and as I got more into uh, uh, studying music um, I did that a lot so through grammar school I did that I stayed focused on drums and um, the school I went to was was predominantly black all black mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, 
But as far as racism element, uh, having darker skin okay, and the perception of lighter skin being more ex- acceptable, uh-huh. I was teased a lot for, for being uh, the dark one. Ah, by your own By peers. my own peers yeah, yeah, in elementary school yeah. because what we were presented with in the media was... Oh. Every you know everything was you know I liked the Brady Bunch. Right. I thought that's a great <laughs> right. wow. Right, right. What a great life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was I was teased a bit in elementary school, which I actually appreciate mm-hmm. because it gave me I feel that it gave me a thick skin. Oh yeah. And I noticed that people who who were maybe pampered or not teased, mm-hmm. um, but did the teasing. If the roles were reversed, they mm-hmm. couldn't take it. Right. I can right. take it. I can let it bounce off of me. Yeah. Because I'm used to it. It, it toughened me up. Right, right. And then on through junior high school, it kind of turned because uh, some of the girls I knew, they sort of admired me for what I was doing. Yeah. Playing drums. Yeah. I remember being invited to that first party in junior high school. <laughs> um Right. And going to the party, and before I went to the party, um, <clears throat> uh, asking my my big sister to like show me a little bit how to slow dance, uh-huh. you know, because I wanted dance. to <laughs> slow dance, and right. you know, just show me how to slow dance, and uh, it was perfect timing because the last song of the of the night, uh-huh. uh, the party host was uh, a young lady Eunice, and it was at her house. It was the last song of the evening, mm-hmm. and I gathered up my courage, uh-huh. <clears throat> and I asked Eunice to dance. Oh. It was my first slow dance. Really? Yes. Now, did you have a crush on Eunice, or was she just... Everyone had it. Eunice was the most slamming girl in junior high school. Yeah. Just like, mm, Eunice. <laughs> mm. Right? So, uh, and she was very, very nice, uh-huh. and... and uh, the moment was right. It was wow. like everything was in a line. She was uh, doing something. She wasn't alone. There wasn't many people there. No one was around her. Uh-huh. And a guy said, and back, popped on my shoulder and said, it's now or never. Wow. Do it. Well, do you remember the song? The song was Gene uh, Carn on Norman, is it Norman Williams? Uh, Norm, you are my starship. Who did oh, that? yeah. Oh, Norman uh, Connors. Yes, Connors. Yep. So on that <laughs> record, he did a version of Bet You By Golly Wow. Wow. With, I think it was Gene Carn or Phyllis Hyman singing. I forget. Uh-huh. Nice, nice arrangement. Yeah. So it was that tune, uh-huh. Bet You By Golly Wow. And were you okay? Did you mess up? Were you like smooth? What do you mean mess up? Well, I mean, you know, it's because <laughs> your sister taught you some of the slow dance moves. And so here you Oh, I was, I was very... You I, were I was, together. It was all there. I, I was very... Right uh, in the pocket. Everything everything was great, and everything was under control, although, you know, there were um, a, a pair of breasts kind of resting on me, <laughs> right, which right. I hadn't experienced before. Right, exactly. Other That's than the hug doing. from, you know, <laughs> give me some sugar, honey. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. This was a little bit different. <laughs> right. And then there's that weird sweat that occurs, you know. Yeah, it was, just, everyth- just everything, was everything was cool. And, yeah. We talked. <laughs> While you were dancing, while we right? talked, yes. we, we talked, and then uh, it was it was magical when I think about it. Yeah. It was kind of magical. And then uh, it was time for me to go home, and her father gave me a ride home. Wow! Yeah, what father. a great story! It was it was wonderful. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, now, since we're on the stories and we've been talking a little bit about fear and racism and fear mm -hmm. and fear of asking the girl to dance. And yes. My fear was alleviated. Yes. Yeah. And get, and breaking through no matter what. That's yes. kind of what this is all about. The mm -hmm. show's about, um, you know, recognizing something that you're afraid to do to take a next step, to step outside the box, as you had mentioned before, mm -hmm. as a drummer, and to act on those things so that you can clear your way to move towards your goals. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to go into the basement, as I call it. Are uh -oh. you ready to go into the basement Whee! with me? Yes, a flashlight. Oh, for some <laughs> reason, the light's not working, and the flashlight... <laughs> They go down there anyway. Well, open the door. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, okay, you ready? Mm -hmm. All right, now. I used to rehearse in my basement. Oh, well, did California. the light always come on? Uh, the problem was it wasn't going down, but it was coming up after watching a scary movie. Ah. Because I always thought something was going to grab my leg. Yes. And, but I would have my dog with me. Okay. And so I would go up in tandem with my dog. Okay. I just felt more. But anyway. Um, yeah. We, so we're going into the basement. We're going into the basement. Okay. We're going down. We're, we're not coming down. up. But when right. we get ready to come up, well, we'll get to that. I'll get my dog. We'll burn that bridge when we get to it. Okay. Okay. So tell us about someone you have worked with who is a little frightening to you, but in a good way. Um... I didn't, I've never worked with this person, but I sat in with him, and this was, this was Mogru Miller. Oh, yeah. Uh, on my graduation day from Manhattan School of Music, uh, Steve Turry was, was getting his master's also. And so, um, that night, he was doing a gig at this place called Carlos One, I think it was called. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so... Was this in the uh, East Coast or West Coast? This was here. Was Carlos here? One was on 7th Avenue. Where at 7th Avenue? And uh, maybe around... Uh, Upper West Side? No, lower, like near the village, like oh, around okay. 12th, yeah. 10th or 12th Street. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, it was called Carlos One, and, and Steve Terry was playing there. Mm -hmm. And he was playing with, I think it was, I forget who was on bass, but... I came down to see see the gig, and he invited me to sit in. Now, the song that I sat in, last tune of the evening, uh, it was a blues, and he had revolving piano players. He had Jerry Allen. Wow. James Williams. Wow. Um, one other person, and Mulgrew Miller. Oh, my goodness. So I was playing, and, and Mulgrew Miller sat down to play, I looked at him, and he was looking at me, and I felt his so his it was so intense. Right, he was has a very. I thought bad. he was gonna jump over the piano and beat the snot out of me. <laughs> really? Why? It was, Why? It was, it was just this look. Yeah. Like, like one wrong move, and I'm gonna jump across this piano, and I'm gonna jolly stomp you. Right. Right. But it wasn't anything like that. It was just he was. He was very intense, intense and just yeah. just listening, uh -huh. and because he's really like was really, really one of the sweetest uh, people around, right? And but just just that look of intensity, uh -huh. and what I learned from it is, um, 
when you when you're playing with someone, you have to have like uh, a radar that is sharp. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. not only are you focused on yourself, but you're focused on everything that's going on around you, right. and you're connecting with people when you play. Right. So when you look at someone, you're you're connecting with them. A lot of people can't look at each other. No. When they play. Or when they're just doing anything. Right, anything. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I won't. Uh, um, <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> I won't go there. <laughs> but it was so. It, that was really, um, like it, it kind of freaked me out for for a moment. Uh-huh. But it was a great lesson learned from that. Is just being in the moment and um, being aware of everyone you're making music with. Uh-huh. Uh, intently listening to what they do. Instead of just coming there with a pre-planned speech, yeah. What I'm, I'm going to do this no matter what. Yeah. Okay. No matter what you're doing, I'm just going to play my stuff. Right. And that's just going to be it. Yeah. Um. So that was that was a great uh, experience. Other than that, um, another experience where I was really s- scared, or that generated some fear. Um. I once when working with Dakota State, the first time I worked with her, mm-hmm. um, uh, I remember she she was um, she was a very uh, vibrant singer. Yes, very vibrant person. Yes, and, um, I remember the first time I met her, and I was kind of shy, nervous, and you know she's she's been around the world many times. And, yeah, uh, so about how old were you at the time? I was uh, maybe. Late twenties, and, and we worked at Sylvia's. That was the first gig. I oh played with her. yeah! And I came in, and I was setting up, and, and I saw her, and she comes in, and um, and I said, "Oh wow, this you know, this Dakota State." Okay, I'm some sort of anxious in a way. Yeah. So first thing she says to me is, "She says, uh, Dyson." Don't worry about playing too loud because I got the mic. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, yes, yes, mistake. Um, what a great line. Yeah, and, and sometimes she could be unpredictable. Yeah. Um, she had a cool arrangement of love for sale where she did the first A rebuttal. Uh-huh. <clears throat> the first two A's rebuttal. Uh, love for sale. Yeah. And then the bridge, it just went directly to very fast up tempo. Right. But there was no count off. Oh, you just okay. have to watch her yeah, hand drop. That's it. Once her hand dropped, uh-huh. it's a turnaround into the bridge. Right. Was it uh, double of? Did she have a pulse in the in the uh, intro that? No, the, the rebuttal that section was just free. You, oh, it was totally free. It, it didn't have a pulse rebuttal. that gave you any indication. No that, indication. Oh wow. I got love, love for sale. That's one, and that's up-tempo, and that's when you, you know, you have to, I was playing with some great guys. It was Ray Gallon and Tony Shear. Okay. And you just write into the tempo. Bang, that's it. And sale is like (laughs) the, uh, it's two bars before the bridge. Wow. And and it became fun after a while, because you're just kind of looking, yeah, 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 you know it, and Uh, it's just it's just right there. So um, she was a lot of fun to play with, and 
uh, her being kind of unpredictable sometimes made it made it fun, which is a great lesson to to um, it's a it's a great experience to be in unpredictable um, unfamiliar situations mm-hmm. because you learn so much. Oh yeah. I mean, so many um, I've seen people and they can they do great at what they do because mm-hmm. it's their world. Right. But if you get them out of their world, sometimes they, they could be lost. Like yeah. a person who can only play their music, mm-hmm. only their way. Right, exactly. And you get them out of their, out of their scene, and they're, they're not as comfortable. Yeah. And I've always thought the more situations where you are in where you're not comfortable, mm-hmm. uh, the more you learn. Because it's going to sharpen uh, everything. It's going to sharpen many things. You're going to learn how to listen. You're going to learn how to react. You're going to learn how to recover. Mm-hmm. You can avoid a train wrecks. Yes. You may swipe, but <laughs> but you're not going to crash and burn. All right. And it's really great to be in those situations where you are uh, on unfamiliar ground. That's that's why I like jam sessions. Going yeah. to a jam session and never knowing how to play with mm-hmm. could be great. Yeah. Could be horrible. That's true. But if it's horrible, then you. You being the player who thinks it's horrible, you, maybe you think you are better. Mm-hmm. And if guys are not at your level, mm-hmm. then it's up to you to be the magnet right. that brings every uh, everyone yeah. up. Yeah. And you can't do that if you're in your own world. That's true. You know, uh, in last month's interview with Jay Anderson, he talked, you know, Jay Anderson is the Mr. Prepared. I mean, he is mm-hmm. seriously prepared for everything. He really does his homework. And, you know, I learned from that last interview about why you do prepare, because it gives you more freedom mm-hmm. to be able to deal with, as you say, anything that could possibly happen. Right. So right. you can step into an <clears throat> improvisational situation and really feel a type of security in it because mm-hmm. you're, you know, you kind of done your homework, so right, to speak. Right. So that's really interesting. It's an, uh, this, several people make that point over and over. I should be more prepared, but I, <laughs> well, I, I could, am with this. I mean, the show, I'm getting better, better prepared. This is great. You <laughs> throw two mics up in my studio and, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really great. It is true. The more you're prepared, the easier it is to deal with something that doesn't go as planned because you have in general you've prepared a framework mm-hmm. and that framework is solid when you prepare yeah so if something goes wrong you still have a general framework absolutely you know instead of laying putting in a blue tenant window mm-hmm. and someone throws in a red tenant window it's still in the same frame yes and it's still a window it's still a window <laughs> yeah so, so you know where it is right it's true so it's it doesn't true. shake it doesn't everything doesn't fall apart mm-hmm. because the frame the framework is still there yeah. So now, okay. So let's let's move on. Let's let's keep going. That's um, this. I'm finding I'm enjoying doing these podcasts because I learn so much every time. Uh, and we talk all the time, you mm-hmm. and I. We're like you know workout buddies and everything on the road. And we'll um, stop in the kitchen and uh, we'll yeah, discuss things for an hour, for hours and hours at a time. So I've got to be careful that this <laughs> this interview. Okay, we got to keep it moving. It doesn't become a four hour thing. Okay. So now the second question. Mm-hmm. What is the scariest work in any medium? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's painting, photograph, movie, television show, broadcast, or any of those mm-hmm. that you've encountered. Uh, I mean, if any, something that scared scared the daylights out of me when I was a kid. Uh, this goes back to the basement. Oh. Well, 
because uh, we're still there. Yeah, we're um, in the basement. I used to watch television in the basement. Weekends, as a kid, I could watch television. Mm-hmm. So there was a series, a show called Creature Features on television. It came on like midnight. When you're allowed to watch it, not when doing I was your homework. To watch it. Yes. <laughs> right? This is this Friday. Friday, I could watch television. Friday, uh, Saturday, and part of Sunday, I could watch television. So I would watch Creature Features. Um, and it was always some scary movie on. But the one that, that freaked me out was Night of the Living Dead, the black and white one, where... Um, 1957, I believe it was. Yeah? Played. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's the original one where... Yes. <laughs> the brother well, almost the br- makes it. <laughs> It's Makes true. It. He almost. I mean, to <laughs> you, you, you were like, "Oh my God!" He's gonna I don't believe it. He's gonna make it. Boom! Boom! Okay, we got him. Roll credit. <laughs> um. <laughs> and they they put it, you know, and at, at the end of it, this is spoilers. If anybody, I'm sure everybody's seen it. Who's who's into horror? They're showing all of the um, the guys putting the bodies on the mm-hmm. uh, fire. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a, so. Anyway, so you were seeing this. You were so I saw this. that, and the movie was over. I'm I'm freaked out, and I gotta go upstairs. Okay, here's the coming up out of the basement. And this was this was that situation where I'm coming upstairs, and it's a short short amount of stairs, but I'm just freaked out, uh-huh. and I gotta get up these stairs, and I'm you know I'm thinking someone's gonna grab my leg because one of the scenes with the with the girl gnawing on the bone, yeah. little girl, <laughs> yes, oh, zombie, little yes. girl zombie in the basement. In the basement, she was yes, that's she was, right. She was gnawing on the bone. That's right, right, right. So I'm, I'm like, this is a basement, man, and I gotta go up. Mm-hmm. I gotta go up and go to bed. <laughs> I don't want to stay down here because part of it was I had to turn the TV off. Okay, it got darker. Yes, I had to turn the light off. <laughs> it's dark. Okay, my dog, me and my dog. He would run up, but right. I would hold his collar <laughs> right. so he wouldn't run up before me, and I would I would go up with him. But right. it, it seemed like it seemed like the stairs were twice as long going right, up because right, I'm right. picturing someone just, just grabbing yes. me and gnawing and gnawing. <laughs> Another scene that that freaked me out because it was so well planned was the end of Carrie. Oh yeah, when she's uh, the girl is laying flowers at the house that went underground, mm-hmm. and the music is all. Beautiful, mm-hmm. and you think the movie's over. Oh yeah, and then the hand comes up, <laughs> and then the music. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, that that really, yeah. I think I, I wasn't careful. I probably would have left a puddle. Right. <laughs> so now you think that um, the fear factor, so to speak, in that is the unexpected. You know, grabbing. Uh, it, it, you know, yeah. It's that's the thing that it's it's the. Like let's, let's say from the movie Carrie, uh, if you haven't you haven't seen it, uh, you'll think, okay, the movie's over, mm-hmm. it's done. You know, the credits there, it's, it's gone. I've known not to believe that now. Oh yeah, and all yeah, of, yeah. because they they use it in a lot right. of. Right, but this was the first time yes. I, I was presented with that. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's just lotion to thinking, oh wow, because it takes you on this ride, and after a while, you know, you're after the the movie gets to that point, you're kind of. You know, you're yeah, you're done. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm exhausted. Oh, oh, man, I made so, it through oh, this. Wow, this is so sweet. Finally. She's laying, and then boom. Yeah. You're you're you're, you're hit again. You yeah. Uh, That's interesting when you think about that for fear and in our psychological profiles. If we were to 
feel that okay everything is is fine i'm mm-hmm. no problem mm-hmm. it's done and bam you know and it would actually be fun to bring that into our music where you write a piece and and i know it's been done where you feel that the piece is winding down yeah and then bam right you know don't go to sleep right. <laughs> i'm not done with you yet right right you right know? Yeah, actually, that's interesting. So you should be putting that on your next album. I should be th- thinking of something like that. Like, uh, I want. Uh, it's probably not like this, but I just remember the uh, overtures, uh, uh, Rossini operas by Rossini. Oh yeah. His overtures uh, would be something where you think it would never end. Yes. Never, never end. Uh-huh. And. It was the worst thing to be sitting in a car in traffic listening to a Rossini overture. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're late. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> because right. the music gives you the feeling like... Yes, you've got to hurry. It's not bad. You've got to pass the past. And you got to go and you got to go. And you got to get there. Yeah. And that that generates fear. Yeah, well, I use music in all these movies mm-hmm. and things to, you know, create tension and anxiety and, right. you know, and everything's okay, but not really, you right. know, yeah, right. so it's real. Okay, so now, uh, coming to, I love it, they've got the church bell ringing, it's... Uh, Signaling it's noon. It's 12 noon, mm-hmm. it's 12 uh, bongs, which is perfect in scary movies. <laughs> okay, so now, number three, what is the scariest thing that has ever happened to you while performing live? Uh, the scariest thing for me being that I have what I learned to call spewphobia. What? Spewphobia. Oh, spew. <laughs> from my, from my, uh, from my uh, uh, a friend of mine who plays uh, piano and keyboards, her name's Julie Homie. That's where I first heard the term, the term spewphobia. Okay. Fear of regurgitating. She used oh, the term. Oh, yeah, yeah. The fear of regurgitating. And <laughs> I remember being on stage with Michael. Okay. And we were in Las Vegas. And I had come off of a, of a situation where I had a nervous stomach. Um, I, a couple of weeks before, I ate just some really bad things uh-huh. all in one night. <laughs> uh, some Japanese food, some spaghetti. Spicy salad, and then on to the three, two and a half pomegranate martinis, one apple martini, and then going to my girlfriend's at the time's house, having a beer, and some buffalo wings. Oh. (laughs) And then going to sleep. That sounds like a typical musician's, you know, after the gig. Yes, yes. So, you know, waking up in the morning after, after that and... You know, feeling the big lead ball in your stomach uh-huh. and be thinking, oh, no. And with spephobia, it's, you know, it's like, okay, I'll do anything. Yeah. Anything. Uh-huh. Just, you know, you know, send, send it somewhere else. Right. Not, not up. <laughs> yeah, not Send up it out. And not now. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, you're always thinking not now. Right. Right now. <laughs> but anyway, the body had to um, take care of me. Uh-huh. And that's what the body does. Your uh-huh. body is great. Your body takes care of you. It's gonna, oh, absolutely. It's going to get rid of it. Yeah. Say, it's, no, it's get poison. this out of here. Yeah. So, but for a few weeks, I had that anxiety. Okay. Um, I'd be on the train, and um, I'd still have this nervous stomach, and I'd feel something, and then your anxiety anxiety takes over. Your heart oh, starts yeah. beating faster, yeah. and you think you're going to 
Yeah. Doing on the train. Oh yeah, and then and the wa- mouth starts watering. Mouth up. starts watering. That's a little sweat. You, oh, it's when you know it's you can't. Nothing can be done. And you're on a New York City subway, right? Which is a fear in itself. Uh, puking on the subway, people are just gonna look at you, right? And just get pissed off at you because you know you you know. Do you have all, to do that? I here? know, like in the floor, I can't get around, man. Right, right. <laughs> what? Why do you want me to move? Why? Why? So, um. It was getting better, but I remember being on stage with Michael and I was playing, and that anxiety attack came, uh-huh. and I thought, it was the same thing. Oh, no, not here. Oh. <laughs> not Do you remember here. the gig? Was it, was it, it was Vegas? a gig in Las Vegas, okay, it's a Vegas at one gig. of the casinos, Yeah, and it was about maybe into the third song, and there's nowhere I can go because I'm thinking, okay, this is not even Monk's tune because... If it was Monk's tune, it would be great because I could sneak off stage and, and, and chill out or barf if I had to because Charles does a nice intro. Right. right. Yes, he does. So I was thinking it could be that, but it wasn't that. I had to be there. And I'm feeling this. And mm-hmm. I'm going, oh, no, not now. Not now. <laughs> not now. And I'm thinking of the time when I was really sick going to San Francisco and I, and I was driving across a bridge in my van with a open bag next to me, ready uh-huh. to ready to barf. <laughs> I didn't have an open bag right. or anything. I can't cut a hole in the floor, Tom. No, no, no. I stage. know, really. What are you going to do? There, and you're like on a, always on a platform. I'm on a riser. You yeah, can a riser, see me. Yeah, you can really see you. Yeah, so um, luckily it dissipated. <sighs> but that that moment was my was really like just the my my spew phobia. Right, right. But on stage with many people with many beautiful women in red dresses in the, <laughs> in the front row. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spew. Oh, wow. Not cool. Wow. And, you know, the thoughts that go through your head at the time, like if it, if it happens, mm-hmm. what, you know, how, how can you, like, deal with it? Yeah, you know, how would how, I deal how, with it? You know, because you, you just have all these things that come up in your mind. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is what's... It's how people are going to look at me. Or you could just see it. You envision it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where, where, And it's always like a stream, you know, mm-hmm. like a nice stream. that. You know. It happened kind of in between songs. And thank goodness when we started playing again. Yes. It took my mind. Off of where off you're of being it. in it. Yeah. But yeah. it got to a point where I was like, I'm not going to, we're not going to make it to this song. Right. I'm just going to just step down and... <laughs> Calmly, coolly walk off. Right, right. Uh, but luckily, it didn't get to that. But that—that that was a major fear. Oh wow! You know, it's interesting because Jay mentioned similar uh, having you know the after the gig mm-hmm. on the road food and mm-hmm. you know you put the combination and mm-hmm. that's one of the things that he had a problem with uh, mm-hmm. is spewing. Spin, yeah, well, no. it should be interesting in the future to see how many other musicians have had, uh, the spew phobia. Have, have the spew phobia. The, 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 spew, the, the, the uh, spew story. I actually saw a, a videotape of a young young kid drummer in Korea uh-huh. playing a solo. Really? And in the middle of his solo, he puked because he was so nervous. Oh my god! Is that on YouTube? Yes. Oh. And, and he and he puked. You hear that, folks? It is on YouTube. You it is on YouTube, and it could yeah, it could happen. Wow. It could could definitely happen. Well, you know, um, I've really enjoyed you being here this afternoon, or me being here this afternoon. In the studio. In the studio, which is it's much quieter back here, I think. Than yeah, it's great back and, here. Um, 
And there are a lot of places you can check out Willard. Uh, Willard does some scatting on um, on YouTube. If you that's Google a fear that. of people seeing me do that, but uh, uh, too late now. But it's, maybe too late. It's already out. If you people can find don't. it, yeah. If you can find it, I may even share it. I may have to get over it and just share it. Okay, well, if he shares it with me, which I'm, I guess if I give him thirty, forty bucks, he will. <laughs> um, it'll be on the website, and you could check it out. But. Um, you know, thanks so much, Willard, for doing this. This was fun. It, it it was fun. I'm quiet, but I like to talk. Yeah, you do. I do. Yeah, most of the time you wouldn't have guessed it, but... Right. It's, it's just it, hard to get me to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have more uh, more interesting tales as time goes on. Um, Willard and I will be out on the road, and if you listen to this podcast, you know, come out and say hello to us. Um but that wraps it up for us for episode three of Tales from the Jazz Side. It was great. Uh, thank you for for letting me be a part of this. And uh, it was fun. And I'm going to turn on the air conditioner. Beautiful. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> The jazz side is always there, waiting for us to enter and waiting to enter us. So, until next time, unplug your ear holes, for you never know what worlds may be waiting for you.